All right. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like there's something that there's no way you could do it? There's no way that you could survive it. There's no way that you could get through it. Like there's generally something that we face in the world that feels like there's no way I can get through this. There's no way that I could overcome whatever this thing is. Like it is bigger than me. And what I want us to see today is how do we survive and not only survive, but thrive in the hardest parts of life. How do we deal with it? Like as believers, how do we not only just say, hey, I made it through. How do we actually say, I actually made it through and in the process I have prospered. I've actually done better. A couple years ago, I was reading a book by this guy named Mark Owen. It's not really his name. Um, But he was the guy who on the strike mission killed Osama bin Laden. He wrote a book under a surname, and uh, he wrote this book called No Easy Day. If you like that kind of stuff, if you like to hear these stories and things like that, I would really recommend you going and reading this book. But what he does is he doesn't just talk about the bin Laden raid and what happened on that raid. He talks about his life and how he got to be on SEAL Team 6 and how he became a SEAL in the first place and how he got to be on that mission. And one of the things that he writes about is... um, all of the Navy SEALs go through this couple weeks of, of training that they call Hell Week. And the whole purpose of this training is that they will go through it and anybody who can't mentally make it drops out. Right? They push your body to the point like you can't do it anymore. That's the point of all of this. And Mark was writing in the book and he said, how did I survive this week? How did I make it through this moment of training that is designed to break you Mentally, what did I do? And at every moment he felt like giving up, he would say this to himself. If it was morning and they just had breakfast, he'd say, I can quit at lunch. And when he got to lunch and he felt like he was going to quit, he said, I can, I can quit at dinner. And when he got to dinner, if they had dinner, he'd say, you know what? I can sleep. I can quit tomorrow. And what he did is he put a little bit of hope out in front of him. And it was that hope that helped him get through the hardest part of his life. The hardest moment that prepared him to be a person who could go and do all of these missions and do all of these things. And that's how I want us to think about all of this today. When you look at the book of Revelation and we look at it as a whole, it can feel so overwhelming. And some of us are going to go like, hey, if we're alive during these times, and I believe uh, some of us will be, is this, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to survive this? How am I going to get from these moments? Because let me tell you something. We're going to look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse today. Some of you thought about wrestling just then, Ric Flair. We're not talking about him today, but we are talking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And some of you are going to say, who can survive this? Who can get through this? Who can, can be in, in, and survive in this world? And what God is going to show us in Revelation chapter 6 and 7 is not only can you survive these things, you can thrive. You can actually come out better on the other side. And so the question is, is all right, Pastor Blake, when does all of this begin to take place? Right? Like, so what's the timeline? Because we all want to know the timeline, and God is vague on the timeline, I believe, so that we have to live by faith, and some of us just aren't last-minute Christians. Right? We actually become Christians. We actually live for Jesus, not because we're trying to make our way into heaven, but because we love our Savior. And so there's a bunch of different schools. There's amillennialism, there's premillennialism, there's, there's mid-trib, post-trib, there's pre-trib. There's all of these schools, 
And I'm going to say, just from my point of view, as I read 1 Thessalonians, and I look at what uh, John says and Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, I am what you call a pre-trib, pre-mill, hopeful person. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that God would spare us from the tribulation. I'm hopeful that for those in this room that believe in Jesus Christ right now, we would be spared. But I do not fret if we are not. I do not fret. I, I am hopeful, like, hey, I don't really want to deal with these things. But if I have to, what this word tells me is not only can I survive, I can thrive in the process of all of this. And so the news that comes from the future to John is not good news. It's not really welcome news. And what we see is those seven seals on that scroll, which is the deed to the earth, which is the plan of the future, begin to be broken by the Lamb of God. If you remember from last week, they say, who can break these scrolls? Who can open the scrolls? And he says, only the Lamb of God who is slain for the sins of humanity is worthy. And we saw that John is showing that the lamb enters the throne room and he's worshipped as God in that moment. But if we're honest in, in this time, there's probably a lot of us who are losing hope. Are you in this room right now and maybe you're losing hope? You're losing hope in the future. You're losing hope in your family. You're losing hope in your relationships. You're losing hope in your finances. You're losing hope in the government. You're losing hope. And it feels like one thing that happens after the other is the next worst thing. That's what the four horsemen are. It goes from one to worse to worse to unbelievable. Then the fifth seal is all the people who died during the tribulation. The sixth seal is all of the natural calamities that happen around the world. And by the way, spoiler alert, the seventh seal is peace in all of the universe. So we got to get through one through six to get to seven. We got, we got to make our way through these things. But let me ask you in this room, are you losing hope right now? Because like we can look at this book and say, man, it's, this is just for the apocalypse. This is just for the end times. But this doesn't affect my life now. But let me tell you something very true. These horsemen are riding right now. They have been riding since sin entered the world. And they have been ravaging our world and us for far too long. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. It says this, I watched as the Lamb of God, the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come, and I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Now this is going to be really important. Everyone say white horse. Because we're going to see later in the book of Revelation, someone else comes riding a white horse. We're going to see, like, as Jesus comes and enters into the situation, right before the battle of Armageddon, he enters in on a white horse. This is going to be really important. Its rider held a bow and was given a crown, and he rode as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Not a Ferrari. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him who was given a large sword. When the lamb opened up the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hands. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. 
and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. Then the lamb opened the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. That word pale doesn't just mean like, like pale like we think about it. It's actually a word used to describe a very light yellow-green color, the color of death. That's how it's described in the text. It's actually used of vegetation that is dying. And it says this, I looked and there before me was this pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. And you say, I'm done reading. I am, what? These four horsemen of the apocalypse are coming in, and their names are are the white horse, who is the Antichrist, by the way. And now we've got war, famine, and death. Those are not four people I want to run into. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, for the hope that we have in the great king of the universe, we say, come on. Come. Because we know that we have to get through them in order to get to him. And so it says this, let's look at this first horse, the Antichrist. All of these, the horses and and the riders on it are designed for you and I to put pressure on us. How many of us have, when you've felt pressure, like war and famine, and and I think of famine like this. Anybody here talk about inflation? Right, a day's wages for wheat? Doesn't it feel like we're kind of getting there? Like, that means you can't eat. You have to work an entire day wages in order to be able to eat. Does that not sound like inflation? Does it not sound like some of the things that we are going to face because of all of the things that are happening? Because when there's war all over the world, we see that things get more expensive, right? Like the war in Ukraine has created wheat prices in our world to skyrocket because they are one of the major suppliers of wheat to the world. And so this first horseman is the Antichrist. And I want to tell you this. The Antichrist is the one who is ushering in all of these things. And he always has been. See, a lot of us get really confused. But the Bible tells us that no one knows the hour nor time at which Jesus will come into the world. So Satan has always had to have an Antichrist ready to go. Even John tells us that even now there are many Antichrists among us. That there are many things. And so what we begin to focus on, what we begin to freak out about is we go, who is this person? Who is this one that we all have to look out for? Who is this thing? But here's the thing. There are antichrists roaming the earth right now. What does that mean? There are things who are anti-Jesus, the opposite of Jesus. And they are ruling right now. And the antichrist brings with him famine, death, war. They've always rolled together. And so what we need to understand is this. The Antichrist is the exact opposite of Jesus. Do you notice that he rides a white horse like Jesus is going to ride? And yet he's the exact opposite of who Jesus is. Right? Because what does Jesus bring? Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings prosperity. Jesus brings life. And who does the Antichrist bring? War. Death. A lack, right? There, there, there is not enough in this world. And so for many of us, we, we look at this ruler, and, and how is this ruler going to come into the world? 
The Bible says that he has a bow, but there is no arrow in the bow. What does this represent for you and I? This ruler will be elected by the people, not take it over by force. That is why the Antichrist is so sneaky, because the world will bring him in. The world will say, yeah, come on. And what it means is because he carries a bow that does not have an arrow in it, he needed to do nothing to be welcomed into the world. Let me say this. How many of you are facing an antichrist in your life and it did not come in by force, but you let it in? You say, I think a lot of us, we look at the antichrist and as believers, we go, I would never be fooled by that. I don't think you know how deceitful Satan is because he made Adam and Eve fall when they were in perfect relationship with God. And so why would we be so prideful to think that, oh, we wouldn't be fooled like Adam and Eve? Let me just tell you, there's a phrase in the Bible that says, pride comes before the fall. And some of us in this room will fall for these things. Some of us in this room will deal with these things because somewhere along the way, we believe that this is obvious. We believe like, oh, yeah, I'll just read this book and he's going to be riding on a white horse and and he has a bow with no, no, this is imagery. This, This is us helping to understand what is going on in this world and what the Antichrist will bring. But this is going to be deceitful. And so many of us, right, how many of you thought the great white horse that was riding into your life was Jesus trying to save you and rescue you and do all of these things, and what you did is invited in an antichrist? And so if we're fooled by these things, why would we believe that we are not fooled later? Because let me tell you something. The moment that you don't think you can be fooled is the moment that you will be, right? Because you don't prepare for anything that you don't believe is going to get you, right? And so what happens in this moment is the Antichrist is going to come into the world and he is going to be bringing with him all of these things. But we see the the horseman riding in the world right now. We see that he is dominating for so many of us. And so let me ask you, what Antichrists are in your life right now? Let Let me give you some phrases because here's what the Antichrist does. The Antichrist will come into your life and say, we are going to free you. And what the Antichrist is going to do is enslave you, rule you, dominate you. Right? So how many people in this room uh, have something that you brought into your life to make it better, that you welcomed it in and it tricked you and deceived you and now it owns you? Here, here's some like phrases that you may know if you have an antichrist in your life. Because what is the antichrist? You find fulfillment or hope or joy or peace in anything other than Jesus. Anything opposite of who Jesus is, you're worshiping an antichrist. Let me give you some phrases that might ring to to mind if you're following this. If I just made this much money, then I would be happy. What are you, you believing in the Antichrist? You're believing in the one who is opposite of Jesus, who can provide everything that we need and beyond measure. And you say, well, if I just had this amount of money, then I'd be happy. What about this? If my wife or my husband just did this or looked like this, then we'd have a happy marriage. If they were just different, then I'd be happy. Right? Like, it's so you're like, right, right. hey, no, serving an antichrist. Because Jesus needs to be the fulfillment of your marriage, not your spouse. 
Can we just be honest with it? We have too much worship of our spouse in this room or the people that we are dating. They are not there to give you joy, peace, comfort, holiness, and wholeness because that's reserved for Jesus Christ. And so whether they change or do not change or you trade one for another, you're not going to be happy. You serve a spirit of the Antichrist. Let me give you another one. If I just had this house, you know how many people I hear? We go into homes. Yeah, this house is fine, but if I just had that house, who I'd be happy. You know, that like five bedroom, three and a half bathroom. It's got a pool that's heated with a fountain with lights that you can change with your phone. <laughs> and your neighbors aren't right on, like you can't touch your neighbor while they're cooking. Hey, can I have some sugar? You just open the window, they hand it to you. If I just had acreage, you know what I mean? That's, that's what I hear a lot. If I just had land, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. You'd be miserable because you've got to take care of that land. And if you can't take care of your little yard now, you're not going to take care of 50 acres. I would just be happy. Nah, it would enslave you. Do you know how many people that I know that can't do anything on the weekend because they just have to take care of their land? I'm like, I don't know if it's taking care of you or if you're taking care of it. It's like people who get dogs. I can't go out. My dog has to go to the bathroom. Would you like to go to dinner? I can't. I got a dog now. And uh, I'm never going to have a social life anymore because my dog has been alone for 35 minutes. And it's freaking out, I can tell. Meanwhile, the dog is just sleeping in your house. Maybe some of you, it's not that if you're married to somebody else, maybe this is what you think. If I, if I was just single, then I'd be happy. I could just worry about me. Or maybe the opposite. If I wasn't single, if I was just dating someone, or if I was just engaged, or if I was just married, then I'd be happy. How about this? Some of us have fallen for these. If I just took this drink, if I just took this pill, if I just looked at this on the internet because my spouse isn't satisfying me, I would be happy. Or how about this? I think this is rampant in our culture right now. If I just weighed this much, if I just looked like this, if my lips were just this full, if my hair was just this color, if, if for me, if I just had hair that would stay. <laughs> I look down, I'm like, I can't look down at the screen anymore. It's like peering in. I just got to embrace it. I just got to embrace it. Some of you will say, and you'll, you'll excuse yourself in this way. Yeah, but I got to eat. Or yeah, I got to be happy in my marriage. Or yeah, I got to do these things. And you'll start to make excuses for things that will really never make you fully happy. Because only Christ can do that. And you'll say, but yeah, I got to, right? And that's the way the Antichrist enters into your life. Let me just tell you this. Here's a simple phrase. I want you to write this down. If you are not satisfied in Christ, you will follow an antichrist. Period. That's the reality. And we all think, I won't be fooled. I've read the book of Revelation. Are you fooled now? I I would never do these things. We're going to look at the world that said it would never. A lot. And it's not would you never. It's really the question of are you right now? And I'll just tell you, 
most of the people that we counsel, by the way, I'm not a great counselor because I like kind of say like, here's the solution, let's implement it. And if you don't, let's not meet ever again, right? <clears throat> and I know that that's not true. You all know that, right? It takes a minute. But I'm like, I just gave you the answer. So stop, right? Like that's my advice. Pastor, I can't, I can't not overspend. Stop. Just stop. Throw the credit card away. I can't. All right, you might need to see somebody else. That's all I got. There's a guy named Dave Ramsey. He's got a lot of patience. See ya. If you are not satisfied in Christ, you will follow an antichrist. 100%. And what God is calling out of you right now is God's not calling you out. He's calling you up. And he's saying, it's time for you to let go of these idols. And it's time to find your fulfillment in me. Because how many of us realize you try all of these things and they don't make you happy? Do you know that in our counties right here in Sarasota, one of the reasons we came here, we're in one of the wealthiest counties in all of the state of Florida. We're in the second fastest growing city in the United States, and we're in the top 10 best places to live in America. We have the number one beach, and do you know that we also have the highest rate of heroin overdose in the state of Florida? Why? Because when the Antichrist tells you everything that will make you happy and it doesn't, you get desperate. And when you get desperate, you try to escape. I mean, our, our world, our society is telling us this thing. So let's talk about the homies that roll with the Antichrist. The first is the second horse, the God of war. The, the horse of war. It, it, this is going to be war on a scale at which the world has never seen. Everyone will be against everyone. And we're not just talking about physical conflict war. Yes, they will kill each other. But how many of us know that we're in a war right now in our culture? I mean, is anyone looking forward to the election? Why? Because it's going to get ugly, guys. I'm not a prophet, but I'm, I, I'll just tell you. I'll read the news to you. It's not going to be great. It doesn't seem like things are getting better. Now, if you're in the, the end times and you're in this seven years of tribu tribulation, the first three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to bring a false peace. He's going to lure everyone in. He's going to bring everyone in and say, look, I will make you happy for a time. Because let me just tell you this. Sin will always overpromise and underdeliver. The reason we sin, the reason we walk into things in our life is because they do satisfy us for a moment. I always tell people this, sinning is fun. The sinning part is fun. It's what comes after it that's not. It's the death that it produces in your life that is not fun. Some of us in this room, you're like, oh, it's not fun. It is. You were built with a propensity towards these things. It's what it does to you that isn't. It's what it produces in your life that does not. This is what the horse of war will bring. And I believe this. I believe that the world is being set up right now for this. For the greatest conflict that we have seen. I mean, how many of us have heard whispers of World War III since Russia and Ukraine? Whispers. We've seen that certain countries are aligning themselves with others. And it looks like World War II is happening again. And it's being set up, and it's being sent our way. 
But how many of us know when war breaks out, whether it's physical, spiritual, relational, or emotional war, that there's famine? How many of us know, like, that's what it produces. There's a scarcity in the world because war takes everything away. And that's exactly what the second rider does. They, they come into succession, and war will come, and then there will be famine within your life. The way that it's described here is that you'll have to pay a whole day's worth of wage for wheat. In fact, it even talks about a whole, a people who have families will get a little bit more, but they will basically be able to feed three people for a day's wage. Guys, I, I don't know if you feel like this, but it feels like we're heading this way. I don't know if you noticed, nothing's getting cheaper. They keep telling us that it is, it's not. Just look at your grocery bill. Right? And and I think our society's living in denial. Because I believe that one of the greatest recessions is coming and we're spending. It's called doom spending. They actually have a name for it. 96% of Americans are overspending because they're worried about the future. Because they have antichrist in their life. And they think, if I just have this new car, I'll be happy. And if things get bad, at least I have a nice car. If I just buy this house at this percentage rate and I can't afford it, probably the rates will go down and I'll be okay. If, if, if I just do this or buy this or have these things or, or if I just start farming, then I'll have food. Maybe if there's seed, if there's water and you can afford to water the land that is now dominating you, I want you to think about inflation. This is what this horse brings in. Why? Because war will take everything else and leave a scarcity for everyone else. And then what follows that is the pale horse. The horse of death. And this can be physical, relational, spiritual. When you start to experience an antichrist in your life, you will experience war in your life. And then from that war, you will experience famine in your life and you will experience death. You will. This is just what the writer and what the Antichrist and what the Spirit has done forever. Forever. It's done these things. And so you read these, these four horsemen and you read about this and you go, man, like, I'm losing hope. Like, Pastor Blake, I thought you said this was a good series. We got to keep reading. Some of you are closing the book too early. Some of you get the bad news. You go, I don't want to deal with that. And God's like, but there's good news, which is coming. So let's keep reading. As we, we're going to skip through part of chapter 6, and here's why. The four horsemen, everybody in the world will experience. Everybody is going to experience these people. Other things will be happening that you may or may not experience like this. The fifth seal is those who have been martyred during the tribulation. You may or may not be martyred. If you in this room are pre-mill, pre-trib, you don't even have to worry about the Antichrist. He's not going to come in your lifetime. That's the reality of that. I don't need to worry about this. He won't even be part of my lifetime. But there is this group of martyrs who will die during the tribulation. They say, when will we be avenged? This is the fifth seal. The sixth seal is natural disasters all over the world. All over earthquakes. It says that the moon will be blotted out. That the heavens will be rolled back like a scroll. This is going to be experienced not all over the world, but in different parts of the world at different times. Right, And so we talk about these things because the four horsemen are something you're always going to be experiencing. The next are not all things that you will be experiencing. And then finally, the seventh seal is peace. Peace. 
There will be peace in the universe. In all of creation, there will be peace, which is ushered in by the Lamb of God. So the text asks a question that probably a lot of us are. Look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come. These, like all of the seals, all of these things which are bringing judgment upon the earth, you go, all of this wrath, all of these things have come, and it says this, who can withstand it? Who can deal with this? Who can survive this? Who can, like, because I'm discouraged in the message right now, Pastor Blake. Don't worry. We're not done yet. Don't worry. Chapter 7 still exists. Don't worry about what happens here. Look at what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7. Because maybe you're feeling like this. Who can survive this? Who can deal with these antichrists? How can I survive the things that are in my life right now? Who can withstand this? Who can have victory? Like this seems miserable and hopeless. But you know how we talked about the guy who survived hell week? He could just quit at the next event. Chapter 7 is the next event. Is the next thing that you and I need to look forward to. It says this, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds on the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel coming from the east, having, uh, coming from the east and, and having the seal of the living God. It says, this is the angel of the Lord. He called out in a loud voice to the other four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. And he says this, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now, everyone worries about the mark of the beast. Well, this is the mark of Christ. We're going to get into the mark of the beast, and everyone thinks it's going to be like 666. It's just going to be a number that's written on your head or on your wrist, right, or on your hand. That's kind of really simple, right? Like we're talking about the great deceiver. It's not like you're going to have a tattoo or a bar. Everyone's like a barcode. I don't chip in your brain. Maybe. But here's the thing. I want us to think about it not only that way but this way. The mark on your forehead and on your hand is how you think and what you do. That's the spirit of the age, how you think and what you do. And if it's a barcode on your head, okay, you had to think that way and do something, right? And so, but he says that these people are are followed by God. The seal of God is put on their forehead. How do you think about God? How do you follow God? Because when you follow God, it affects the way that you live. That's exactly what the text says. So it says this, picking up in verse 4, it says this, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then he begins to list the tribes of Israel and 12,000 people coming from each one. And you think, okay, what are you saying here, God? It's saying the remnant will come back to God. It says that those who are far from God will come back to him, that there is a special place for Israel in the end times. But it says this as we continue. After this, I looked around and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Who can withstand this? Those standing before the throne of the Lamb. They were wearing white, white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. Who can survive all of these things? We can. This is exactly what the text says. It says, there's this 144,000 remnant from Israel, which will be brought into the kingdom. They will be witnesses. And let me just tell you something. Who will be the witnesses? What will be the witness during the time of tribulation? If you believe that we'll be raptured, we'll be caught up, according to 1 Thessalonians, then you know what will be the witness? The Bibles we leave behind. Think about in your house right now, how many Bibles are sitting in your house? Right now. How many? 10, 12, 5, 2, 1? I don't know, but those books will be available. And here's the incredible thing, that people will get saved during the Great Tribulation. During the worst moments in human history, God is still working and doing his thing. And here's what that means for you and I. If God can save people during the Tribulation, whether it's pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, whatever, then he can save you in the midst of your situation. If God is rescuing and still working in people's lives in the hardest moment in human history that will ever be recorded and people are saved, then you can be saved right now. Then you can be rescued out of whatever you find yourself in right now. They were exuberant. They were praising God. Did you notice that? These are people who died during the tribulation. And what do they do? They worship and sing and praise God. And all of heaven joins in. These are people who die during the worst moments in human history that God saved. That are martyred and they are worshiping at the throne. I told you that you could not only survive this, you could thrive. Because to be there in that moment, yes, maybe you make it through the seven years. But even if you don't, you are at the king's throne worshiping King Jesus. That's what true thriving is. Because let me read this to you as we end today. Because pain becomes praise in the midst of hope. Because we talked about how do you survive all of this hopelessness? You get some hope. You read about Revelation chapter 6, you go, there's no hope. Revelation chapter 7 says something different. Look at where the Bible picks up in verse 13 of chapter 7. Then one of the elders asked me, these in the white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. I don't, you know. And he says, these are they who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Look at what verse 16 says. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. We've gotten rid of the horse of famine. We've gotten rid of the horse of war because they're sheltered by the king of the universe. The sun will not be down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Because when you really have hope, 
Pain becomes praise in the midst of it. What does that mean for you and I in this room right now? In the midst of your pain, if you really have hope, you can praise the Lord and you can prosper. In the midst of it, not that you'll be taken away from it. As I was studying this week, I want you to think about this. I thought, man, this, that sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And then I thought about church history. And I thought about everything that came against Christians in this world and how we are products of people who prospered in their suffering. Because when the church is born, the rulers and emperors of Rome come after the church and begin killing everyone. In fact, Stephen in the book of Acts is the very first martyr who's killed by the Jewish leaders. And what happens after Stephen is killed is every one of the apostles and, and those who are following God spread out and leave Jerusalem. And they go all over the earth and churches are planted all over Asia Minor and all over the world because of persecution that entered the church. Then I think about Nero. And Nero would come against Christians and he would actually put them on stakes and light them on fire to light his gardens. And the church flourished. And the church grew in that kind of end times, in that kind of moment, in that kind of persecution, the church prospered. I think about now, and we think the American church is such the hope of the world, but I think about the Iraqi church. I think about the Iranian church. I think about the church of China, which is outpacing the American church in the midst of some of the greatest persecutions in the world, because what he says here is true, because we see it in those who are suffering the most for the king. You know, the fastest growing church probably right now is in Iran. In Iran, where if they catch you worshiping Jesus and following Jesus, there's a good likelihood they're going to cut your head off and they're going to kill your family. That's the fastest place that the church is growing. There's this old phrase, I can't remember who said it, it may have been Luther, but it says, the life of the church grows by the blood of the martyrs. Because why? Because this life is not our hope. It is the next one. That this life in all of this world has. We don't worship the Antichrist. We don't worship this world. We worship the great king. And when you have hope, you can prosper. As I was reading this week, I came across some research from this guy named Kurt Richer. He's kind of mean, but it's a good analogy. In the 1950s, he studied rats. And what they would do is they would put rats in a pool. And they would cause, there was no way to get out of the pool. And the rats, on average, when they were put in the water, would tread water for 15 minutes, and then they would drown. 15 minutes. It was almost like across the board. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Some of you are treading water, and you're in the 15th minute. And then what they did to study, what would happen is, is some of the rats right before that 15-minute mark would hit, they would grab the rats and they would pull them out of the water. And they did this two or three times with these rats. And what they did is every time they were about to go under, they would grab them right at that 15-minute mark. And they would allow them to rest for a few minutes. Those rats, which were pulled out of the water, that learned that they would be rescued and cared for, when they were put back in the water, would tread water for 60 hours. 60 hours compared to 15 minutes. That's the power of hope. That's the power of believing that you will be rescued. 
That is the power of believing that something or someone is going to rescue you from this abysmal future. And because you know and believe that you will be rescued, you can endure hardship much longer. You can deal with the trials and tribulation. You can deal with the seven years of tribulation. You can deal with the suffering in your marriage right now. You can deal with that health crisis that you're in right now. You can deal and keep going through this financial pain that you find yourself in right now. You can deal with your kids rebelling and running away and turning from the Lord. You can deal with it, not because you have this great antichrist who will serve you and make all things better, because you have the great hope of the king who rescues. And some of you in this room right now are in your 15 minutes. And do you need to believe according to the book of Revelation? That he is a God who rescues and saves. And that your pain will become praise in the face and in the midst of hope. Is Jesus Christ your hope? Some of you in this room feel like giving up right now. Because the four horsemen are riding all over your life right now. Do you have a hope which is beyond compare? Do you have a hope who can overcome all of those things? Do you believe in the great lamb of God? who according to Revelation chapter 17, that you will no longer hunger or thirst or be afraid or worried or stressed, but you will stand at the throne of the king of the universe and he has wiped away every tear from your eye and all of the suffering and all of the pain that you went through finds purpose in him. I told you that this book isn't only about survival. It's about thriving. And so, yes, are these things coming? And are we experiencing many of these things right now? Absolutely. But you got to get to chapter 7. you got to keep treading water. you got to keep reading and believing, just like those saints who are worshiping at the throne right now, that you will be one day too. And God's got you. And he's not letting you go. And he's not going to let you drown. You have to hold on. And let me tell you something. When we become those kinds of believers when we become those kinds of Christians who truly take God's word for what it is and we truly believe in what God says, our testimony will be the life and hope that we have. Our testimony will be the fact that we are not overwhelmed or overcome, but that we know the one who overcomes all things. And that will be the greatest testimony to the world. The question in this room is, do you believe it? Are you living like it's true? Because any time, you follow an antichrist. What you say is, Revelation chapter 7 isn't true. And I will trade the hope of heaven to get away from the hell of this world. That's not a fair trade. And let me just tell you something. It's just going to lead you to a different place and a different hell that is going to control you and dominate you. Is it time for you in this room, you've been treading that water, is it time to reach your hand towards heaven and believe in Jesus Christ that he will rescue you? Today's the day. Today's the day. The hour is now. And if you're a believer in this room and you're losing hope and you're about to go underwater, lift your hand up towards him in praise today and he will rescue you. The van's going to come up. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. And some of you need to grab the spouse, your, your spouse's hand and you need to come down front and no one's going to judge you. Every spouse, every couple in this room needs to be down here praying. Because the moment we think we're invincible is the moment we're not.
Maybe you need to get a family member. Maybe you need to, to grab the hand of a friend. Maybe you need to, to call somebody on the phone. Maybe you need to give in the midst of your financial pressure. You need to say, I don't got a lot, but I got a dollar, God, and I'm going to trust you with this. I don't know what you need to do here today, but how do you need to let go of the Antichrist in your life and follow the Christ who saved you and rescued you and will satisfy you forever? Today's the day, the hour is now. And if you're in this room uh, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, chapter 6 is super scary. And let me just tell you something. Chapter 8 and 9 are going to get worse. Chapters 10 and 11 are going to get worse. And then following that, it's not going to be great. And the end of the story isn't so great. And that's not to scare you into heaven. That's to make you realize what the great Lamb of God did for you. And what he really came to rescue you from. And so today, would you join me in praying? And that your pain, your suffering today, will become praise to the king in the midst of the great hope that we have in King Jesus. Would you join me? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you that you've inspired the writers of the word of God to write these great words. Thank you for the vision that you gave John. That in the midst of great suffering, in the midst of great hurt, in the midst of great trial, there's a better hope. Who can survive this? We can. In you. In you alone. And so God, today I pray that we stop trying to just tread water. We just reach out our hands to you today. And trust you to save us and to rescue us. And we won't give up. We'll keep going continue forward knowing the great hope and future that is ahead of us. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you in this place today. And all God's people said,